0: today on Ag News daily
1: currently um as i said earlier that dairy producers pay 15 cents per 100 weight um out of every 100 hundred pounds that is marketed 8
0: 2023 the 18th of august friday edition delaney it's time to get our listeners ready for the weekend
2: well, what are you doing with your weekend, Tanner? You got any big plans? You go into the Dixie Chicks concert at the state fair?
0: You know, I would, I think I would enjoy that concert, bring back some uh, young memories. But I do think I'm going to go sweat my butt off at the fair one of the days. Uh, seems like that'll be part of the plan. Got some family in town. What about you?
2: I will be going to the Dixie Chicks concert, and I think it's supposed to be quite warm.
0: Yes. According to the National Weather Service, uh, the southern half of Iowa, Nebraska, eastern Kansas, Missouri, Illinois are all now in an excessive heat watch. The time frame, which varies by location, but is typically for all those areas going to be through the weekend. Iowa is dangerously hot conditions with heat index values nearing 105. Extreme heat and humidity can cause heat-related illnesses for those being outside. So we're definitely going to have our water with us. But this is that referenced heat dome, Delaney. What that does is puts our friends on the northern side of the heat dome in excessive risk of thunderstorms. We'll continue to keep an eye on that. Hurricane Hillary has strengthened into a Category 4 storm, and it is, though, expected to weaken before it hits the southern United States. Right now, it is nearing Mexico's Baja California Peninsula, and uh, we'll look to see, once it gets to the cooler water there, Uh, If it decreases in strength, it's about 425 miles away right now, but the National Hurricane Center is monitoring four disturbances on the other side of the US that might have a potential to hit the Texas, Louisiana, those states there on the Gulf Shores. We'll continue to keep an eye on those. One of those disturbances has a 70% chance of becoming a hurricane.
2: That is a pretty strong chance then.
0: Yeah, i would uh, be interesting to track it to see if it falls into that majority.
2: Absolutely. Well, Tanner, things are ramping up in the trade dispute between the United States and Mexico. On Thursday, the United States officially escalated their objections about Mexico's limitation on genetically modified corn imports by requesting an official dispute settlement panel under the North American Trade Pact, or NAFTA, or USMCA, I suppose is the correct version, according to the U.S. Trade Representative's office. This request to send the dispute to arbitrators was announced after formal consultations failed to resolve deep divisions between the two countries over the usage of the United States using genetically modified corn. But Tanner, we're looking at reports that are suggesting, you know, a lot of producers use genetically modified corn and what would the impact be? But it would certainly be a lot and hence why we've seen now going to this level. But as far as how the dispute process works, we actually have some clarity on that A reporter dug some information up. So the first step was the consultations that we managed failed. The next would be establishing a dispute panel, which I think is where we're at now. This panel will examine evidence and hear oral testimony from both the United States. And then the panel will deliver a verdict about which party was found to have violated its obligations under the USMCA agreement. And they will have 45 days to settle the dispute. If a settlement isn't reached in that window, the quote-unquote winning party can impose tariffs on the ag products such as GMO corn. But I thought that was good to get some clarity about what the next steps are.
0: Yeah, it is. And uh, I think I could lead into a couple of different stories right off of this, but I'll start with the USDA reported that the farmer adoption of genetically modified crop varieties is spreading beyond the well-known dominance of corn, soybeans, and cotton. There are lesser known genetically modified crops such as canola, potatoes, and apples. But when you add them all together, about 55% of the U.S. cropland is planted to genetically modified varieties. The Economic Research Service conducted on behalf of the USDA corn, soybean, cotton are quickly the crops that are dominated by GM seeds. But when you look at wheat, rice, barley, oats, sorghum, peanuts, sunflower, flax, beans, sugarcane, potatoes, vegetables, fruits, And nuts, the growing use of genetically modified planting material is growing. A handful of companies obviously dominate these seed sales, but since 1970, most of the crop breeding, with the important exception of hybrid corn, is continuing to be done uh, as far as research goes. According to USDA's acreage report, biotech varieties were planted on 93% of corn acres and 97% of soybean acres and 95% of cotton acres. So yes, that would be very impactful, the decision that comes out of the panel, because a large portion of the United States crop ground does have GM crops planted on it.
2: Tanner, another piece of legislation that's heating up here in the United States this time is the EATS Act, or the Ending Agricultural Trade Suppression Act. For those of you unfamiliar with this, we've previously reported on it on the podcast, but it was a piece of legislation introduced in the end of June by Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas in an effort to dispel the Supreme Court's Prop 12. The EATS Act now, Tanner, has a group of 16 attorneys attorney generals, excuse me, teamed up as well to send a letter to Congress in support of this EATS Act to continue to try and fight the Prop 12 going on in California. In the letter, they note a few different statistics pulled together by Rabobank, but Rabobank estimated that at least 15% of U.S. hog producers would face considerable cost to convert their operations Upwards of 1,600 to 2,500 per sow for a new barn in order to meet California's pork housing regulations. And once again, the big question is who's going to pay for that? Because right now, it places the burden at the producer level. So the attorney generals are focusing on urging Congress to pass the ETHS Act and stand up for livestock producers across the nation. Tanner, but that is just the latest in that
0: story. Yeah, appreciate those updates. The other direction I could have gone after first article is the World Trade Organization upheld a US tariff ruling, the US tariff steel on or the US tariffs for China on steel and aluminum in 2018, but the WTO rejected China's retaliatory tariffs against an array of United States goods in response. China called for the US to remove 25% tariff on steel and the 10% tariff on aluminum that's coming in from China. The World Trade Organization on Wednesday handed down their ruling that stated the U.S. did not have to, but also included their ruling on 123 different products in which China applied a tariff on the U.S. Agricultural goods were included in that list, and it is considered, according to the WTO, to be inconsistent with the 1994 general agreement the chinese retaliatory tariffs which ranged from 10 to 25% also led china drastically to cut down its imports of united states farm products during the trump administration is it also coming into play trump on his visits to the iowa state fair made comments about this ruling stated that more than 23 billion dollars in tariffs were collected And he returned $28 billion in the form of the market facilitation program payments to the United States farmer. Of course, the American Farm Bureau Federation is very pleased with the WTO's dispute panel ruling uh, as far as China's imposition of unjust and retaliatory tariffs on the U.S. So despite this. Information, China is not going to be penalized, just states that those tariffs can no longer be enforced as far as that goes. We'll continue to watch what's happening during the trade war that began during the Trump administration to see what moves forward between the United States and China.
2: Standard, the International Grains Council raised their forecasts for the 23-24 global corn production numbers, noting an improved outlook for Ukraine's crop, only partially offset by downward revisions for China's production. The IGC now forecasts global corn production at 1.221 billion metric tons, up a million metric tons compared to last month and 61 million metric tons above last year. Again, the big jump there we're seeing is notably because they're expecting to see more corn coming out of Ukraine, as well as I think they're expecting to see a fairly good crop here in the United States. And of course, that's up for debate. So they may cut production numbers once again, once we start to see combines roll here in the United
3: States.
0: Yeah, that's interesting when you started off uh, naming the two countries for corn production. I couldn't imagine it was going to be a very large adjustment. And with these potential large yields coming out of the United States, we are continuing to look at our waterway system. Ag is not in a position of strength due to a couple of droughts historically. We knew that the water levels were really low in 2022 that caused some problems, cut export capacity in review by 5%. Mike Steenhook, the executive director with the Soy Transportation Coalition, states that when you look at water levels this year compared to last year, which again, last year was a real challenge, they're very comparable, unfortunately. When you look at various spots along the Mississippi River, which is not the position that we want to be in right now, we would like to see those levels be higher. Of course, we've had a spell of rain most recently, but They will be closely monitoring those water levels during the upcoming months. When the water hits record lows last year due to drought, we know what that had as far as an impact on soybean exports as well as other crops. Obviously, it's going to depend, Delaney, on what we see For the rest of august september and october but barge transportation is still going to have some limitations imposed if water levels do not increase that's going to be mainly due to how much they can load on the barge so it is marginal but if traffic gets slowed down completely uh, we could see bigger issues the noaa is predicting more active hurricane season which could bring more moisture to our area as i discussed at the beginning of the conversation today but nonetheless, certainly water levels is something that's going to be on our radar for some time.
2: Teneri's judge here in the state of Iowa, an administrative law judge, has decided that Summit Carbon Solutions should give documents of its dispersion modeling to groups that seek them as evidence for the company's upcoming pipeline permit hearing. These dispersion modeling documents, which is an interesting name for them as a side note, attempt to predict whether populated areas near the pipeline route would be at risk if the pipeline is breached and releases carbon dioxide. As safety concerns, of course, are front and center for a lot of folks, the gas is an asphyxiant and it's toxic at high concentrations. Because of Some other pipeline breaks that we've seen, for instance, in 2020, a pipeline broke in Mississippi and released a plume of carbon dioxide that traveled to nearby towns. About 200 people were evacuated. Forty five sought treatment at a hospital, but no one died. However, because of models like this and pipelines like this, a lot of residents are concerned about the safety here in the state of Iowa. But, of course, we're seeing folks reassure them to say these are very safe. That is very rare that that happens. But nonetheless, a judge has ruled that they will be turning those over to groups that request them. Sounds like, Tanner.
0: Yeah, I noticed that as well. I've only got Russia-Ukraine updates before we can jump into markets. An alleged drone strike attempt on Moscow forced authorities to suspend traffic to four major airports in the Russian capital on Friday. Meanwhile, Russia's defense ministry said that it has repelled a Ukrainian attack for uh, within the Black Sea. The U.S. is committed to approving the transfer of F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine as soon as training is complete. The U.S. official said it's unclear, though, when that training will actually begin, Russia blamed Ukraine on Friday for the attempted strikes on Moscow. Thousands, though, are still without power in Ukraine due to Russian shelling. So we'll continue to keep an eye on what things are doing on between Russia and Ukraine. There is a grain ship that arrives in the sea near Turkey. That container ship laden with grain departed from Ukraine's southern port of Odessa on Wednesday it has trans, transit through and arrived in the sea of Marmara near Turkey. Its final destination will be Hong Kong. Or I'm sorry, that is its final destination. This is that same ship we talked about yesterday that was Hong Kong flagged. So it looks like it has made it there safely.
2: I am all out of headlines as well, aside from chat Markets. So let's dive in. In the overnights here, as we head into the final trading session of the week, markets are pushing higher in the grain department. September corn up six cents in the overnight at 479. New crop corn up five and a quarter at 491. Soybeans up 15 and a quarter cent in the September contract at 13.52. New crop beans pretty close here coming to Divergence with old crop up 15 and three quarter cents at 1345 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, Chicago December contract up 13 and a quarter at 628 and a half. Hard red September winter wheat up nine and a half at 742 and a quarter. And September spring wheat up five and three quarter cents at 793 and a half. Taking a look at where livestock markets closed yesterday. October Live Cattle shed 95 cents at a buck 78.32 and a half. September feeders down $1.87.5 at $2.47.12. And October Lean Hogs added 97.5 cents at 79.15. for today's interview, we are chatting with Tom Olson, the president of the Dairy Pricing Association, to discuss some new proposed dairy checkoff program changes that will hopefully help producers' bottom line.
3: As we all know, county fair season has came and passed, at least in the state of Iowa, and state fair season is here right now. But something that is affected by these at all times is the dairy industry. So right now on the line, we have Tom Olson with the Dairy Pricing Association. Tom, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your position with the Dairy Pricing Association?
1: Okay, well, I've been uh, milking cows since 1981. So I guess that makes it about 42 years, um, actually, this month. Um, I'm a small producer, um, I milk 30 cows, 30 to 35 cows in the central part of Wisconsin. Dairy Pricing Association was, um, kicked off, I guess, in about 2009 when we had the lowest, um, dairy prices the U.S. farmers had seen in a long, long time. Um, that was, that was a real bad time for farmers, um. And our, our goal was to create an entity outside of the government um, where we could, we could help control our price. And our, our method for doing this was to let producers voluntarily um, send a, a check off in from their milk check. And then we would use those funds to purchase surplus dairy products and give them to um, needy people. It was all humanitarian uses around the nation. And since then we have we have had enough members and enough dollars come in where we we actually buy commodities by the semi load um so from powdered milk to cheese that's that's kind of the main two main two things because of the shelf life that we that we deal in
3: gotcha and it sounds like the Dairy Pricing Association definitely does a lot, and it is an extremely important association for the industry. Tom, we recently read an article about some proposed legislation to Congress that the association has made. We're just going to focus on one of the proposals today, the dairy checkoff reform. Could you explain to us a little bit more what this proposal is?
1: Sure. Um, so the the dairy checkoff that has has been in place since 1983, um, where producers pay 15 cents per hundredweight from their milk check, has never been changed. It's it's the same old status quo, um, and when you look at the number of dairy farms that that keep exiting, you know because it isn't profitable. That that says that this program has uh, is is not working. Um, when it was implemented by Congress, it was implemented to to help maintain the farmers' price. Um, in the actual congressional findings, you know they talk about what a large role that dairy products play play in the health of the nation's people. And so, at that point in time, you know they thought it was really important that they try to do something um, to help the dairy farmers out. And of course, you don't know what's going to help until you try it. And, you know, but I would say after, after 40 years of, of trying and seeing, seeing the same results, um, it's time for something to change with that program. And if, if it wasn't a mandate, it wouldn't exist. I don't think farmers would support it if it was voluntary.
3: When it comes to this uh, proposal exactly, could you explain what we currently have for a checkoff for the dairy um, industry and kind of what you're looking to reform it to?
1: Right. Well, currently, um, as I said earlier, that dairy producers pay 15 cents per hundred weight um, out of every hundred pounds that is marketed. Um, it It goes to usually two entities. The... DMI or a a state um, board, most states have a have a board in Wisconsin, here it's Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin. The state state boards usually get 10 cents, the DMI gets a nickel. Um, there, There are a few states where I believe all the money goes right to DMI, so in those cases they'd be at 15 cents. So what we'd like to do, what we're asking Congress to do is to allow dairy producers to divert $0.02 cents of this $0.15 checkoff. So we're not increasing the checkoff. It's not going to go to 17 or nothing like that. It's going to stay at 15 um, But we would like them to allow producers to divert $0.02 cents of that money, and that money would be earmarked by dairy products only, and it would be distributed through food banks, um, you know, in, in all the states that, that have dairy farmers.
3: That sounds like an incredible idea that I think a lot of people could benefit from on the diet side as well if it came to that um, conclusion too. So looking directly at the producers and consumers, could you talk a little bit more about how this reform could affect the producers and consumers if it goes through?
1: During COVID, I know a lot of people are probably familiar with the dairy donation program that the government put in place. And that dairy donation program has now ended. And that was for low-income people to be able to receive dairy products. And it was, it was um, you know, it was, it was costly. I mean, the government spent a lot of, lot of money on it, but we're finding out now that it has ended. Um, these people really miss it. Um, I know here in in Jackson County, where I where I live, um, the Housing and Ur- Urban Development Office contacted us, and and HUD is the is the short term for that. They were looking for dairy products be, because they lost the the dairy donation program and. HUD recipients are are low income, and the government helps house them. You know, any any range of issues can put you into that. It could be a disability of some kind, or whatever, or just your your age. So they they really miss the the dairy donation program. And so any anytime you take like this like this two cents, it, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of money, okay, per hundredweight. If my numbers are correct here. Two cents per hundredweight right now, on the total production from the U.S. is almost forty-four million dollars a year. So it would it would buy a lot of dairy products and and get it into um, the hands of, of needy people. If Congress wanted to make the number higher, if they wanted to make a make it three cents, four cents, a nickel, I mean that's fine. I guess we're just we're just starting out with this. You know, at two cents here, we don't want to rock the boat real hard. Um, but that's 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 the number we picked just because we figured that it it would be you know maybe more acceptable to them,
3: yeah, and that sounds that's, like a great number to kind of start things out with forty four million dollars could feed a lot of people for a good amount of time, hopefully,
1: right, yep, no, it wouldn't it would and it would move a lot of dairy products, so it, of course when when you're a dairy farmer, I mean supply and demand is a big issue on your price. And so to be able to take part of our dollars and create demand with it, I think, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. It's it's sure not going to hurt the price that we get paid.
3: Most definitely. And Tom, there's so much to chat about on this topic and never enough time to ask all of the questions that we need. So before we end things up, are there any important other information that you think listeners would benefit from hearing about this legislation?
1: Well, I guess if they want to actually read the checkoff reform proposal, they can go to dairypricing.org. Um, that's our website. And they can look on there. There's, there's a lot of info on dairy pricing. This checkoff reform is, is a tab at the top of the page. Some other interesting things that that farm or people in general might want to look at is the tab that's labeled "Helping Others." So, helping others goes back; it's our whole history. It explains everything that we purchase, where it's went, where it's been distributed, and and all that through the years. So, I'm not haven't looked myself lately. I'm not sure if it's updated with what we've just done this summer. This summer, we just purchased three. Three semi-loads of, of cheddar cheese that was distributed, around 44,000 pounds on a semi. So you can you can do the math on the total pounds. But
3: so. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. We really appreciate it. You shared a lot of great information, and hopefully we can have you on for a follow-up about this, Bill, if anything happens to move forward about it.
1: Right, yep. Well, the farmers can go on the website, and they, they actually can sign an online petition well i shouldn't say just farmers i mean consumers consumers as well so um that would be an avenue for anybody listening if they want to if they think this is a good idea and they want to help us push this and and show show support for it um you know please go to dairypricing.org and um look it up and check it out
0: there you go, listeners. Hopefully you had a great week and you're looking forward to a good weekend. Stay cool. We'll be back again Monday with the Market Monday conversation. Lenny, but for today, what do you say? Should let them go?
2: Let's let them go.